The Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at theocmovement.com. We hope you enjoy this message from The Movement. Man, we're so glad that you're with us today. This is part number two of Crash the Chatterbox. And we're talking about how the fact that the voices that we believe will determine the future that we experience. And we're talking about the fact that God has purpose and destiny for each of us. But if we're not careful, the thoughts that we consume will eventually consume us. So we've got to be selective to what thoughts we think. The chatterbox is not uh, something external and it's not necessarily the enemy. Sometimes it's the inner me. The voices, the conversations that I have. Some of you are thinking, is our pastor schizophrenic? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you have conversations with yourself about how I'm going to handle this situation or that, this scenario or that, or why my husband's not doing it. And if he would just did it, and nobody can hear you saying these things, but it's going on right here. Same kind of stuff of when somebody comes to pay you a compliment to say something like, man, you look so great today. Some of us on the inside think this, man, that is so true. I've, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me that. And some of us have a hard time believing it. No, I think you're just saying that because you, you realize that I don't look that great today. Either way, most of us in this room experience the chatterbox. Last week we talked about the lies of insecurity and how to battle that with the promise that God says, I am. God says, I am. Today we're going to talk about fear and worry. And the, the lies that the enemy speaks to us, the chatterbox that we listen to, and we're going to challenge that with the promises that God says he will. Turn to your neighbor and say, God says he will. <laughs> so funny, so many of you hate to do that, and yet I do it every week without fail. Turn to your other neighbor and say, ha ha. <laughs> it's just entertainment for me. Most of you guys are critiquing what I'm saying anyway, so at least it's my payback to you. So we're going to talk about fear, the lies of fear, and combat that with the promises that God says he will. And I'm not talking about the fear that can be so huge and insurmounting that it, it's understandable why we struggle with fear. And, and we'll cover some of that today. But I'm talking about the fears that are tiny, like, man, what if... That extra bonus doesn't come in. We were hoping to go do this or we've really got to pay off that debt. And, and so I go to bed at night and I'm constantly consumed. When, what if I get that email tomorrow and I'm going to walk into the job and they're going to pull me in and be upset. And then I'm wondering, is this job going to last? And the, that chatterbox that goes so I don't even go to sleep until an hour or an hour and a half after I lay down because my mind goes crazy. Anyone else in here that the moment your head hits the pillow, it's like your mind begins to race. Raise your hand right now. You're jacked up. It's okay. I'm the same way. That's what we're talking about today. The same kind of fears that surface when you face crisis or conflict in your marriage and you wonder, is this the thing that's going to, is this the thing that he's going to realize I'm not as strong as I thought I could be, that she's going to see my faults and this is just going to begin to fall apart and this relationship is going to end the same way every other relationship has ever ended for me because so-and-so rejected me, so-and-so rejected and maybe it's the same thing here. My kids, what am I going to do about my kids? I just, they're hitting that age now where they're wanting to make poor choices. Did I mess this thing up? What's the problem with me? And all of these fears become sometimes insurmountable. They seem huge in our life. That terms, into uh, uh, the school exams are coming up and I've been studying and I've, I've maybe I've, I've slacked off too much. I mean, I don't know if I've studied enough and if I don't pass this, then my parents aren't going to pay for college anymore. And then I'm in trouble and they're going to realize I'm a failure like I think I am anyways. You got tracking with me? The fear. The crippling fear. 
that literally overwhelms so many of us. Can we just be transparent in this room? I just, I want a show of hands. How many of you in this room struggle with the chatterbox of fear? Would you raise your hand? Awesome, awesome. Thank you for being honest today. Thank you for being honest. We're going to talk about a, a passage of scripture. We're going to look at a, a, a guy's life in the, in the Bible. One of my favorite authors in the Bible, his name is Paul. We're going to kind of go through the course of, of, of a certain chapter of his life, if you will. And discover how he had the opportunity and he faced the chatterbox of fear. And what he did to overcome it. And I believe that you and I can take away from this ways to overcome fear in our own life. Can we pray? Is that okay? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I just pray right now above everything else that you just lean in close. Holy Spirit, that you open our hearts, all of us. None of us are exempt from the words you want to speak today. None of us are exempt from the things that you want to do in our lives today. And all of us are here for a reason. So we just lean into you, Holy Spirit. Say and do what you want to say and do. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said. Let me, can I just pause for a second? I just kind of just challenge you. Man, it's easy to come into church on a Sunday morning and kind of slip into the routine. The seats are super comfortable, aren't they? And it's easy to just kind of lean your head back. And once your head hits that certain thing, then the seat leans back. And you're like, oh, this is good. But can I just challenge you? Don't, don't settle in. Would you lean forward some? Not really. <laughs> some of you like really sat up. Would you lean into what the Holy Spirit wants to do? Man, what if we did that? What if we did that? What would happen if every time we drove onto the property of the kaleidoscope and we made our way up 82 escalators into a theater that smells like yesterday's popcorn until about 1030, right? We check our kids in, we grab our coffee, we shake a hand, we get in here for worship. Most of you missed the first two and a half songs. We're not judging you too bad. Pastor Kerry's going to make us laugh, hopefully. And then we'll go eat lunch. But what if today we just said, Holy Spirit, what if this next 35 minutes is about you and me? What do you want to do in my life? I believe so many people came into this room crippled by the chatterbox of fear. Or maybe not even identifying it because you just think it's normal. You think anxiety is normal. You think worry is a spiritual gifting that you have. And it doesn't have to be. We find the author, the Apostle Paul. And he is on a ship bound for Rome. Not because he paid the fare for an amazing cruise. He's not enjoying the all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not going to Rome because he's always wanted to go back to the home of his descent. And just kind of tour the land and see the great sights. He's on a ship as a prisoner. Chained to the walls. Going to stand trial in Rome. And we find him in the midst of a scenario that is quite challenging. I'm going to read through it in Acts chapter 27. And the scripture will be on the screen. If you didn't bring your your Bible, you can look it up on your app. Follow along with me because I believe God's going to speak to us today. So Paul, the prisoner on the ship. Acts 27. We're going to start with verse 9. I think I may have the wrong address up on the screen. But you'll get the picture. It says this. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, 
He said, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. How many of you know that's some great news right there? Our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives. The news keeps on getting better. Verse 11, he says this, But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. So here the preacher is, chained as a prisoner in the ship. They're already on their way. And Paul says, hey, I just got to tell you something really quickly. We are headed for a storm, and it's going to cost us the ship, the cargo, and if we're not careful, our lives. And the centurion, which is the guard in charge of the prisoners, decides to listen to the pilot and the owner of the ship instead of listening to the preacher. That makes sense, doesn't it? You're thinking, man, he's just a preacher. He's a prisoner. Why would I listen to that dude? It just makes sense. I'm going to listen to the pilot, the guy who owns the ships, the guy who's been sailing his entire life. If he says it's okay, then I think we're going to be okay. And that brings us to point number one for you and for me. Steer not by, I'm sorry, steer by our senses and not, whoa, I'm having a hard time today. Steer by the spirit and not by your senses. It's easier to steer by our senses, isn't it? It makes sense. You see, the pilot and the owner of the ship, they had all their nautical maps out. They had done this before. They knew exactly what speed was happening. They knew how to read storms and figure this thing out. But Paul's like, yo, 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 listen, God's talking right now, and we need to stop this because we're headed for disaster. And so many of us do that when we're facing situations on a regular basis. We steer more by our senses, more by our feelings, more by our emotions than we are actually led by the Spirit. And you need to know this, that no matter what we're facing, often God's going to send warning signs. He's going to send warning signs. Some of you are thinking of the Coldplay song, and I appreciate you right now. We're best friends. The rest of you don't know what I'm talking about. We're praying for you. He's going to send warning signs. What? He sent Paul and said, hey, listen, we're headed for disaster. And look at me, listen, lean in for a moment. You need to know that when God sends a warning sign, you better listen or there are consequences that follow. Next week, we're going to talk about how do I differentiate between the voice of God and the chatterbox that I struggle with. So I'm not going to belabor this point right now, right here today. But you do need to know that God will always speak and everything he speaks is intended to strengthen you, not bring worry. To make you stronger, not make you weaker. He's going to send warning signs, and it's up to you and I to listen and hear the warning signs. Because if we ignore them, we're in trouble. You need to know this. Your life and my life is being steered by something. Something is steering the course of your life right now. And we have the power and the authority to determine what steers that. Listen, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, some of you and I, let's just say us, some of us, if we were led by emotions and sent the email that we wanted to send, we'd get in some serious trouble, wouldn't we? If we sent the text that we wrote after that thing happened, it would be disastrous. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just try to type up the text and set it aside and then just wait one day and see if you still want to send that text. Well, oh my God, there's not an emoji con I can show you that lets you know the anger. Demon Satan face, sir. Thumbs down, yeah. Right? We're led by emotions so often. 
And we can chuckle about it and laugh about it, but the, the consequences can be disastrous. I see this. Can I just be on transparent for a moment? I see this so often when it comes to tithes and offerings in the church. And it gets really quiet, doesn't it? Because the preacher's talking about money. Yeah, I definitely want you to teach that you are to be the husband of one wife. You don't cheat on your wife. You stay faithful to her because that's in the scripture. I want my husband to know he better stay faithful to me or I will cut him. <laughs> but slow down with that 10% business. I don't think I'm ready for that jelly. No, yeah, teach my kids to honor your father and mother. Yeah, definitely. But slow down with this money thing. Let me just give what's convenient for me. You don't even know. If you saw, if you saw my budget and you try to tell me 10%, I couldn't even do half a percent. I think if we did that, we would be in trouble. We couldn't afford to pay our bills. What is that called? Fear and worry. God says, bring the whole tithe, that there might be food in my house, and then check this out. In fact, test me, because I know you're worried, and I know that so many times we're driven by our emotions rather than by what the Holy Spirit is saying, so check this. You just try it, and see that I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. That is not me speaking. That's what the scripture says. But we're driven by our emotions and our senses. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem possible that our marriage can get better because it's been this way for 15 years. And I've tried everything I know to try. And I'm just worried we're one crisis away from it falling apart. The chatterbox. And Paul's saying, man, we got to be led by the Spirit. we got to be led by the Spirit. He goes on. In verse 14, the Scripture says this, Before very long, a wind and a hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it, and we were driven along. It says, we gave way to it and we were driven along. So the storm that Paul talked about actually came about. And now all of a sudden, it's so intense, it's so crazy, there's nothing they can do but be driven along. Doesn't that feel like some of our lives? Something happens, some crazy situation takes place, or I'm in the midst of something that I've been in for years or weeks or months or decades, and now I just am driven along. The seasons of life, the crisis of life, the challenges of life, it just happens. It's just what I just have to give way. I, li- I give into it. It's worry or fear or anxiety. I've always had anxiety since I was 10. I can remember having anxiety, and I just go to sleep like that. I just go to sleep fretting and worrying about tomorrow, and then when something Something good happens, I'm like, oh God, something bad's about to happen because what goes up must eventually come down. And then when something is down, it just seems normal. So I just live with it. I just go with it. It just drags me along. There's no solution. There's no hope. We get so worried sometimes that we end up creating scenarios that aren't even real. So freaked out. So panicked. It's just the way life is. 
reads on. As we passed by the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. Doesn't that feel life, like life sometimes? The rescue point, it doesn't even feel like that's secure. My solution, it's not secure. So the men hoisted it aboard and they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. They're abandoning ship. They're taking the cargo. They're tying it up. They're doing everything they know to do. And I believe that this next verse, verse 20, is such a a, a picture of how so many of our minds work. And the writer says this, verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days... And the storm continued continued raging. So we couldn't see north from south. We couldn't see the sun or the moons. All we saw was the problem and the challenge that we faced. We tied up the ship. We've ditched the cargo. We don't know what else to do. We can't see an end in sight. We don't see hope around any corner now. And the writer continues in verse 20. He says this. We finally gave up all hope. Of being saved. We finally gave up all hope. Of being saved. They've shifted. From despair to depression. It's gotten really bad now. Do you know what the clinical definition. Of what depression actually is. The clinical definition. If somebody's really struggling with depression. The clinical definition of depression is this. Giving up hope. That I will ever feel any different. Than I feel right now. Giving up hope that I will ever feel any different than I feel right now. Don't don't show me your hands, but have you ever felt that way? Maybe it's about your future. I'm just so lost. I'm just so, I don't think it's possible. I just don't, you know, it always seems to be better for someone else. It seems like somebody else always has a break and I never get a break. It's just always going to be this way. And then fear in the chatterbox begins to start. And when I get to a place where I feel like it will always be this way, what do I lose? I lose my sense of hope. Hope. I'm now like that ship just giving way to the storms of life and it's dragging me along. And I love Paul. Paul's like, look, we're not done with this thing. We're not going to be driven by our senses. We're going to be driven by the Spirit. Paul, a prisoner in this moment, he gets up and he begins to share. Listen to this in verse 21. He said, after they had gone a long time without food, you know he's a Christian because it's always about food with Christians. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and he said, men, you should have taken my advice. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, I didn't know Paul was a woman. No? No? Megan told me this morning this is going to be her life verse. Men, you should have taken... We'll just move on. Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. He said, you should have listened to me. 
God sent me a sign, a warning sign to us that this was going to happen. You know what? I believe that for many of us, there are situations that we get into, we have no control, that it just kind of seems as part of life, or maybe even something God is doing in our lives, and we don't usually struggle with the fear that he's going to pull through. You know what we struggle with? We struggle with the fear of getting out of a situation that we got ourselves into. It's amazing to me how much fear is based and founded in regret. When you lost your job because you were being lazy and irresponsible. And sure, you can cling to the story that your boss just doesn't like you and it was just part of the thing and I didn't like this job anyways. But deep down inside, you know that you could have done some things differently to have held on to your job. So we get in that situation, and now I'm the one that got myself into this, and I just am afraid I'll never get out. Or what if you really were neglectful in the relationship? You weren't, at, you weren't there investing into it, and you weren't the one that was actually saying, man, I'm, I'm committed not just with my words, but with my actions and my heartbeat, and I'm, I'm committed to everything I can do for this relationship, for this marriage, no matter what. And when you weren't that way, and it fell apart, we look internally, and that chatterbox goes crazy. It goes crazy. And we have a hard time believing that God's actually going to pull us out of a mess that we got ourselves into. So we start to think that we've got to do something to get out. And then after a while, when the ship is just being ravaged by the sea and the storm of life, we give up hope that anything is going to change. And we're steered by our senses, instead of by the Holy Spirit. And I love Paul. I love Paul. Man, this feels like a trampoline. I love Paul because he comes right back in. After saying, you should have listened to me. After saying, you listen to this, he comes back in. In verse 22, he says, but now. Turn your neighbor say, but now. No, come on. Turn your other neighbor say, but now. I love that. But now. Paul says, but now. I urge you to keep up your courage. But now, I urge, listen, we're in a ship and it is definitely going to sink. The cargo is gone. We haven't eaten in days. And you should have listened to me because I told you about this. I'm trying to tell you something and you ain't listening. It's exactly what Paul's saying. It's rough. It's bad. But now. Keep up your courage. That brings us to our second and probably our last point for the day. Fix your focus and keep your courage. Fix your focus and keep your courage. Listen to what he says. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. I've got good news and I've got bad news. We're all going to live, but this ship is definitely not. But now keep your courage. Keep your courage. Paul's saying, fix your focus and keep your courage. Listen to this. He comes back in and he says, last night an angel of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Verse 24. He said, do not be afraid, for you're going to stand trial... And I'm going to take care of your life and all the lives of those that stand with you. So what's Paul doing here? He's shifting his focus and keeping his courage. 
He's shifting his focus and he's keeping his courage. Do you know why we worship for the first half of a service? Because that's the portion of the service that is 100, 1,000% dedicated and devoted to acknowledging who God is. It is shifting our focus. Because I know what life feels like. I know that life has crisis. I know that life has challenges. And when we come in here for the first 20 minutes, we shift our focus and we say, we're going to put our focus and our attention upon you, the true and living God. If you want to change your mindset from fear, we've got to shift our focus and keep our courage. Notice Paul didn't say, hey, pray and ask that God will give you courage. He didn't say, hey, pray that God will keep up your courage. No, God's already given you the courage and you have to keep it up. And listen, your courage follows what you feed. So many of us are steering in the direction of our problems, steering in the direction or staring at the face of the challenges that are in our life and it's all we can see. And so instead of feeding our courage, we're feeding our fear. We're feeding our fear. And that is feeding it so much so that it's affecting how we live our life who we talk about, what we talk about, what we're believing for in the future. And Paul's saying, hey, keep your courage. God's giving it to you. Let's shift our focus. Not one of you will be lost. We're going to lose the ship, but not one of you will be lost. I wonder how many things we spend time worrying about that aren't really important. You see, how are we going to do this? How are we going to fix our focus on what God has for us? We've got to separate our condition from our courage. You see, so many times we attach or we marry our courage to our condition. So when our bank account gets low, our courage gets low. When our relationships get on the rocks and seem challenging, our courage is on the rocks. And seem challenging. When the doctor brings a diagnosis or a prognosis of poor health. And our courage is tied to our condition. Our courage gets low. Are you tracking with me? For so many of us our courage is tied to our condition. Instead of our courage tied to the hope of who Jesus is. That's why Paul said listen take courage. Keep up your courage. Not one of you will be lost. We spend so much time worrying about things that aren't even going to become a reality. We allow, listen, worry has babies. Worry spins off into other scenarios. We're so worried that our husband's going to do this or that, or this isn't going to work out with our finances, or I'm going to fail that test, and as a result, everything's going to come crashing down, or I'm not going to get married. It's all over because he broke up with me, and I'm 17. My life is over. Some of you are like, I'm 27 and I'm not married. Well, slow down. Don't worry. God's got a plan for you too. We allow the condition to speak to the truth of our reality. And it's not even God's design for us. He's saying, fix your focus. Keep your courage. What are you focusing on? I love what Joyce Meyer said. She says this. I'm going to go way down on my notes. She said, worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. <laughs> That's good. I do a Joyce Meyer impersonation, but I think she might kill me. Worry is a down payment on a problem you may never have. I like this quote from a movie. It says this, most of the big challenges you face 
will be the result of things that you never even crossed your worried minds. Most of the big challenges that you face will be things that never even crossed your worried minds. It'll happen at 4.30 p.m. on a Thursday and you had no clue it was coming your way. You know why fear has the power? Because it operates within the questions of what if. What if you do get sick? What if chemo doesn't work? What if they don't hire you? What if you do fail this test? What if you don't get accepted into that school? What if this really is a bad crisis and your marriage might actually fall apart? What if, what if people find out what the real you? What if people find out the real struggles that you face? What if you actually have to have a real conversation and someone hears how you speak and what comes out? What if, what if, what if? Fear operates within the question of what if. And we allow it to cripple our minds. Because we focus on the what if of the negative things that could happen. We fix our focus on those things. We fix our focus on the potential problems and the potential risks. What if you start a church carry and nobody shows up? What if they don't come back on week two? What if everything falls apart? Don't do it. It's going to fail miserably. It's a fears that I've literally walked through. Never forget Saturday, September 8th, 2012. 24 hours before we started this church thinking nobody's going to show up. And if they do, they're going to hate me anyways and not come back for next week. What I do, I just fix my focus on who Jesus was. What if we turn that phrase around on fear? What if I do lose my job? Well, I'm going to get another one. What if they do find out that I'm not as strong as I think I am? Well, I'm going to find who my real friends are. What if I do fail that test and I don't get accepted in that school? Okay, well, you're going to find another school to get into. What if the chemo doesn't work? What if he passes away? It's okay, because God's still there. God's still there. If you lose your job, if your marriage starts to fall apart, if your finances dissipate, if you fail a test, if you break up with your boyfriend, if you get dumped by your girlfriend, if somebody laughs at you, if somebody rejects you, if the answers you're praying for don't come true, guess what? God is still there. God is still there. Listen to how Paul closes out this story. Verse 22, he says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Destroyed. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away. That's awesome, right? So you're in a shipwreck and now they're going to kill you while you're trying to flee for your life, right? The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and he kept him from carrying on their plan. I lost my spot. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were to get there on planks and on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. Everyone reached the land 
safely. Why? Because God said it would happen. Because God said he would. Because God said he would. Now, they didn't arrive the way they thought they would. The ship was torn into pieces. Listen, look at me in the eyes for a moment. Just lean in. I don't know what you're facing. But God said he will. You don't have to listen to the lies of the chatterbox, but you need to know this. You're going to arrive at the destination that God has for you. It just may not look like what you want it to look like. It may look a little different. It may smell a little different. It may taste a little different. But God says he will. Our faith cannot be in how it will happen, but in the fact that God said it would. Amen? Amen? God said it would. You don't have to let fear overtake you. You don't have to let fear overcome you. You don't have to listen to the lies of the chatterbox. You can refocus your attention on who God is. And in the midst of the craziest storm, in the midst of the most trying circumstances, you can hold to the promise that God said he will. He will. This morning at 5 a.m., I got a phone call from my brother who said my dad passed on from this life to the next. We've been preparing for this for a month now. We've brought you in on the journey. But you don't, you don't get to prepare for that moment. And I said, thanks. I love you. I'll talk to you in a bit. And I hung up the phone. And I rolled back over. My morning breath was atrocious. I could smell it. And I was overwhelmed by a sense of hope. <laughs> because my dad is no longer in pain. No more sorrow. No more tears. No more suffering. He stands with Jesus. And in an instant, eternity became real. It became real. It became so real. And it just hit me. I don't have to worry about fear. Because God says he will. And it may not look like I want it to look like. I would love to continue this journey with my father but I'm grateful for the time that I got with him, a giant of a man in faith and in relationships. But we hold to the hope that God says he will. So what are you facing today? Look at me. Some of you came in here with a major crisis on your hands. You may not know how you're going to pay the bill on Tuesday. Guess what? It might be disastrous. You might get kicked out of your home, but God will still be there. Your marriage may be on the rocks, and you may have a tough road to hoe, but God will still be there. He never said we wouldn't experience pain. You can't tell me Paul loved being shipwrecked, only to face trial in another. You know, we read on in the story, they get to the island, they build a fire, Paul's putting wood on the fire and the heat freaked a snake out and it jumped out and bit him on his freaking finger. Right? You're like, can I get a freaking break, God? Shipwrecked on an island, going to jail. And most of us would be like, dang it, fall down and let the viper take me. I'm over this thing. Paul didn't even freak out. He didn't even panic. 
The Bible just said he shook the snake off and threw it back into the fire. Now, I'm not suggesting that the problems you're facing aren't real. And I'm not suggesting that you are not justified by feelings of fear. But I am telling you the promises of God for you is that he will. So shake that snake off and throw it back in the fire. The very things that the enemy tries to bring against you, the very thoughts, what if you fail? What if they realize? What if you're rejected? Then just return it back at him and say, what if? God would still be faithful. God is still there. He never leave me nor forsake me. And his promise for me is that he will. He will. He will. Amen. Some of you in this room may be sitting here today going, man, I want the reassurance of the hope that he will. But I feel like a separation, a gap between me and God. In fact, every time I come into a church, I just feel shame more than anything because I feel like God can't love me because of who I am or what I am or what I've done. I want to tell you, man, that's a lie from the enemy. In spite of our weakness, he loves us. That gap is real. It's called a sin gap. The Bible calls it that. Sin is a separator. And there's a payment and a consequence for sin. And you get that. When we do things that aren't right, we get in trouble. If you speed past the cop, you're going to get a ticket. If you break the law, you're going to go to jail. But the coolest thing is the Bible offers a radical solution through Jesus. He did the most selfless thing, displaying the greatest display of love for mankind. He came to earth, lived a sinless life, and he died paying the ransom for your sin and mine. That does two things. It closes the gap between us and God so that we can walk through life without fear. So that we can hold on to the promises of what God says when he says he will. But there's a greater promise on the other side of that, which today I'm reminded of even more. So when we die, we're promised life with him for eternity. I'll tell you what, eternity became very real for me this morning. Very real. So if you're here today and you haven't closed that gap, you don't have to do anything to close it. All you have to say is, Jesus, I give you my life. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to challenge you. Pray with me. You don't have to get out of your seat. You're going to pray in your own heart. Actually, I'm going to have everybody pray out loud so that nobody will know it's you. Hey, look at me. Everybody in this room. Some of you here today have been running from God, and you're putting distance between you and God, and it's time to come back. Look at me in the eyes. you got to give some things up, change some bad habits. But today's the day to come running back. I'm going to pray a prayer in 15 seconds, and everybody's going to pray it out loud. But for those of you who have never prayed that prayer or today need to come back, I want you to mean it from the bottom of your heart. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat, but let's not leave here today without changing our eternity. Because God says he will. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want everybody to pray this out loud. Don't make me make you repeat it twice. All across the room from the front to the back. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know you've given me purpose. I know you called me to live victorious. But the truth is, God, I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the ransom for my sin. 
Now, everybody repeat this phrase. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at theocmovement.com or we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Till next time, Orange County.